And it's time once again for Conversations with Lori Kendrick. Lori, good morning. How are you? Hello, Mr. Fant. How are you, sir? Well, I'm just fine. And uh, here we are in the warm month of August. Wait, I've just been handed a note. It says it's hot. It's not warm. It's hot. No, that's right. It's horrible. Hellish. So the way to, you know, the way to mitigate some of that is to enjoy an entertaining hour of uh, radio conversations with uh, Lori Kendrick. And I'll say, uh, from, from, what, from what I'm seeing here, the next hour with Aileen Pustanio of New Orleans is going to be exceptional and one that your listeners uh, will not soon forget. Uh, Lori, uh, would you introduce your guest? I would be happy to. For the next hour, my friends, we will be talking to Aileen, as Pat told you. She is a New Orleans paranormal researcher and voodoo expert, and I'd like to welcome Aileen. Thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you. You know, voodoo is something that I find absolutely fascinating, but I can't really, I I find so many different varying issues on what voodoo is and what voodoo isn't and we'll be going into some the haunted nature of new orleans as well which is your home and has been your home for six generations correct right Mm -hmm. we'll we'll get into some of that too but but what tell us what is is voodoo exactly well voodoo is actually a religion um a lot of people don't understand that when they look at it they but they commonly go to you know the dolls the uh you know the voodoo dolls the chicken feet the grigri bag the whole nine yards of that and that does exist but in its essence voodoo is a religion it's a spiritual belief system and those who practice it look at it as a system that is just as valid as any other religion and the problem comes in with the common um you know conception of it but here in New Orleans, it's linked to what is uh, really hoodoo. So when you think voodoo dolls and you think curses and you think all that, people in voodoo, people who practice voodoo will do that occasionally. But it's the ones who are practicing hoodoo, which is more of a visceral type of magic. It's, it's not a belief system. Anyone can practice it. Um, and it's very uh, connected spirit. In other words, in voodoo or in Catholic r- rituals, etc., you you know you have a priest, you have a, a mediator that goes between the spirits and you. In vo- in hoodoo, <clears throat> the example I always give is like if I'm angry at somebody and you know I'm mad at them all day, mm-hmm. and I go out in the yard and I take a bunch of grass and I put a string around it and I'm thinking about that person, that that literally becomes a fetish. And later, I can do anything I want to that. <laughs> and that's where that's where hoodoo comes in, you know. It's a lot of uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of manipulation of spirit. It's you know immediate. The three most popular things are love, money, and revenge. <laughs> you sure. Know? And uh, it hides kind of in the shadow of hoodoo, but it's really a conjure type. And so here in New Orleans, it's really mixed. Uh, and mixed also hiding in sort of the syncretization with Catholic saints. And, you know, basically that was that is where it's hidden itself um, since the time of the slaves, since the beginning of New Orleans, and the slaves were brought here. Uh, they originally adopted 
Catholicism, which they were expected to do. And so in order to keep their own religion or their own belief system, uh, they would syncretize the different saints, the images of the different saints or, you know, uh, the Blessed Mother or whatever. And they would say, oh, you know, we're praying to the Blessed Mother when really they're, play- they're praying to, you know, let's just take a spirit, Izuli Dantor, you know, who is, you know, a fiery Petwo Loa who is all about revenge for single women, <laughs> you know. Right. So the masters might think that was great, you know, but they didn't know what was going on underneath it. So it's not unlike, as we're very familiar here in Texas with Santeria, uh, which is, mm-hmm. is practiced a lot in Mexico, and that takes, pan- their pantheon is basically Catholic saints and, and some of the, the seven African powers that, that right. have been brought over. So it's kind of the same thing. There is a, there is a pantheon, correct? Like a loa, yes, as you mentioned? Mm-hmm. Explain that. <clears throat> well, in, in actual voodoo, uh, there are two types of spirits. Uh, Rada, which is white, Petuo, which are considered red. So white uh, are the beneficent spirits, and then the red are what you go to, you know, when you need the whatever, anger or power or whatever. Um, the Lawa of the African voodoo, they were actually considered, the pantheon was actually considered to have lived at one time. In other words, they lived exemplary lives like our saints, like Catholic saints would, and they became famous for that, or they, this is, and we're talking like generations upon generations ago. But they preserved the memory of these, and so they go to them along with their ancestors for intercession and for help. So their own ancestors, when they pass, they will in they will invoke them and pray to them to be to get in touch with you know the, the powerful Lawa of the spirits, <clears throat> and so depending on which. What the you know what the need is that's who they will go to, so that is African and uh, primarily from the west coast of Africa, which is the Congo, Nigeria, that all, that whole area that was called the white man's graveyard on the right, west coast. Right. That is where that type of voodoo came from. <clears throat> and just because they have Lawa, it doesn't mean that they don't have like a god type figure because they do, and that's that's Dambala Wido, and it is depicted as a great snake. That is like holding up, is that going along, let's say, a column, which is called the parastyle, and he continually moves to get, you know, to keep spirit in our spirits, our spirits and the spirits above, in constant motion and contact. So, you know, so it does have a God-centered, but primarily they go to the Lawa for everything that they need. So, so I know that there there are variations of voodoo, and you kind of mentioned that. But what that which is practiced in New Orleans, how does that vary? Say, and what happens, uh, or what's practiced in say the Gullah people uh, in the Low Country on the uh, southeastern Atlantic oh, yeah, seaboard? Gull, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, and then, then Haiti, the uh-huh. yeah, the well, Delta, hey, yeah, everything, right? How different? And, um, how similar? Well, every anywhere that you'll find a slave population. Uh, remnants of a slave population, you're going to find uh, conjure and root work and hoodoo, basically, uh, but, it, you know, it expresses itself differently. Like, you're talking about the Gullah, and then there's the Traitors in southwest Louisiana. Um, you know, we have the Delta, uh, the Mississippi Delta practitioners who are, you know, root workers and conjurers of that sort. And you, it all kind of flows to New Orleans, uh, right. you know, there's that good, that great story of Robert Johnson, 
selling his soul at the crossroads. And, you know, the, the devil told him, you know, voodoo flows to New Orleans and out of her for a reason. It's because all of it, you know, just like the Mississippi empties down here, it's flowing constantly. And basically that's what he made a deal with, you know. But we get that from the western, the you know, the western coast of Africa was where primarily the slaves were. Now, there were some brought from Ethiopia, but that's entirely, that is a different form of voodoo. They are here, though, and I can talk about that in a little while. But the western part, and then they came through um, what was, what is Haiti now, but what what was Santo Domingue, those were French holdings, and then this is a new world. And everywhere these beliefs um, went, they basically met up with another culture. Like in the West Indies, you'd have the Native Indian cultures, and then you come to Louisiana or Florida, you know, and the Gulf Coast, and they meet up with with traditions here. So what you get in New Orleans is the voodoo religion, and then it's syncretization with a, a hoodoo, which would be like the Gullah expression on the East Coast, and Native American traditions, um, Romani traditions in southwest Louisiana, okay. uh, you know, traditions that were brought by the Acadians, that every culture has kind of folk belief system and so in new orleans it all met up and it became a type of voodoo that is unique to the city it's not practiced in the way that it is right here anywhere else not even here in southeast uh, texas (laughs) uh not even in southeast texas okay uh you are listening to a conversation uh with uh, Lori kendrick and our very very special guest today Elaine Pusitania, thank you so much, Elaine. We're going to take a short, quick break. We're going to be right back. Conversations with Lori Kendrick will continue in just a minute. Welcome back. This is Conversations with moi, Laurie Kendrick, and I'd like to say hello and uh, thank you so much for tuning in to RadioBrave.com for this show. I am with Pat Fant. Hey, and Laurie. Hey, Pat. And our very special guest, and who I've tried, wanted to be on this show for so long, is Aileen Pustanio, <laughs> and she is an occult, well, she knows all about folklore in New Orleans. She knows all about the paranormal in New Orleans, and she knows a lot about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, ignorant heart, voodoo. So again, <laughs> once again, welcome, welcome, Aileen. I'm so glad you're here. You, you mentioned, you, you're, you, you mentioned, sure, you mentioned in earlier segments, how you know, talked about how we kind of color code magic, how we kind of color code things we don't understand, white magic, black magic, and you mentioned red magic how has voodoo gotten the kind of scary uh, uh malevolent connotation that ha- that it has well because it can kill people <laughs> and well there you go lives. and i mean that you know like like we began at the beginning of the show when we say voodoo when i say it i'm talking about a religion so again you, you kind of tweak it and i understand it as a, um more of a conjure. Uh, hoodoo, which is, like I said, really visceral. It's um, 
you know, you in voodoo, you propitiate the spirits that you're working with. If you're having a ritual like, you know, here in New Orleans, we'll have like a, they'll have a head-washing ritual or some other public ritual, and there's a priestess or and a priest sometimes interceding, and it's a whole religious experience. Not like if you walk into a church, but nevertheless, it is. Voodoo is something that you can do on your own. Um, you the, the threats and the curses and the I'm going to kill you stuff is really hoodoo with the mixture of that root, that conjure root work that is developed here exclusively, really, in New Orleans. Now, you know, I mean, people, people here know if you step out of your house and there's like a chicken foot, <laughs> you know, on your step, um, something's happened, right? I mean, so you are, or more, like something dead in a circle or, you know, a voodoo doll hanging from your door. You know somebody's worked you. So then they go, then you would go to a padre or to a priestess and say, I got to deal with this. And so you do something. And it's this whole back and forth, and you don't need, like, you know, a high priestess to guide what you do. And that's how accessible it is, and that's how it gets dangerous. So how um, does it... So, talk about... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to. I was going to ask you what um, in, in European witchcraft and a lot, of, a lot of hexing in general outside of the voodoo realm. The person who you have hexed either knows about it or not, and very often it's a psychological play. If the person who's hexed knows he's hexed, sometimes he'll bring the the negativity toward him. Does so the person? So the person in voodoo has has to know they've just been voodooed. No, no not really, because. Um, you know, I don't want to paint the whole thing, but if you're already a person who believes in this stuff, you know, and let's just take just on your level, not not including any kind of spirit. If you're already a person who's dealing with this stuff, you kind of know. And for some reason, you know, there's always enemies and there's always people. And you can, it's the suspicion, the paranoia and all this other stuff, you know. You don't need to know, but if a, but if I go up to somebody and I tell them, you're going to die at 8.20 p.m. on October 24th. You're going to die. And every time I see that person, I tell them that. They may not die, but they're going to trip out. And all in between that time, they've been doing stuff to, you know, make it go away. But that's kind of like it is doing it. The power suggestion is very important in all magic, not just just hoodoo or voodoo. It's very important because you get into the subconscious mind. And all, all... spiritual attack um, from demons as well as, you know, other spirits, discarnate, come on the mental level first. So it gets in your mind and then it begins to work. And no matter how you put it out of your mind, it's working on your subconscious, on your lower consciousness level, and it does bring about stuff that, you know, whatever the, whatever the goal is, you know, kill you, make you trip. I mean, you may not die, but you'll have an accident or you'll be so tripped out, you know, and then all of a sudden you'll just do something. Now... The spiritual side of it is, um, if I wanted to curse somebody, you know, and I had a picture of them, or, you know, or whatever, it's finding that object link, and that's where real magic comes in. And this is important in the old-style traditions of Europe, as well as in hoodoo and voodoo practices here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in voodoo, if we go to a priestess and we say, you know, my uncle is sick, blah, 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 she would intervene, put, put his picture on the altar, and prayers would be said for him continually to whatever day, you know, whatever law they're working with. Um, in old-style witchcraft and in witchcraft in general, and again, the, the type of 
magic that goes on in New Orleans. All I need is a picture of somebody. Like if there's a picture of a couple and I wanted to break them up, I'd know what, you know, you tear it in half, you put them back to back, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. It's your belief then and your focused will that causes the, the result to occur. And I've actually seen this several times in my life, and I watched it from a really close range. Because remember, the most, the reason people go to voodoo priestesses and they go into the shops here and they look for a practitioner, love is the first one. They always want their, they always want love. <clears throat> and the trouble is, when you do that, you manipulate it, and it's like a hair's trigger away from being stalked, <laughs> you know, and what <laughs> follows all the, all of the magic is restraining orders and police and all this other stuff, you know, and when the gods want to punish you, they give you what you want instead of waiting for it to come to you when you manipulate that. And it also with money too, um, you know, the story of the monkey's paw, right? They got three wishes from the monkey's paw. They wish for money on the first wish. Their son died. They got the money. Uh, and they wished, the woman wished her son back, and then the man was able to, you know, get to the monkey's paw and wish him away before she opened the door and saw his corpse, right? So it's the same principle here. You know, you get, when you want something and you put so much focus on it and you're doing magic, et cetera, it, it, it does happen, period. I mean, there's uh, the woman I know lives here in New Orleans. The couple she was trying to break up is in Seattle, and he... I'm telling you, which, you know, I told her, I never say, I'll do it for you. I will never say, here's what you need. But I will tell her, you know, this is where you look. If you really want to do this, and I told her that. I said, this is on you. You know, if you decide to do it, that's you, okay? And that's giving her enough chance to say, well, maybe I shouldn't. Because I, it's not going to be my spirit that I stain with that. So, I'll, you know, when all of a sudden I told her, you know, you're working with Mars energy, you're working with this planet, you know, it's kind of sort of drawing mostly from old style witchcraft. And things were going terrible for these people. All of a sudden, they, you know, they were fighting, fighting. And, she, and he sends her a cell phone picture of his bleeding head and his living room is destroyed, right? And <laughs> she goes to me and she says, oh, my God, oh, my God, so what do you want? You wanted them to break up. That's your magic working. That's it working, you know? And she got afraid and stopped doing it. And then guess what? The home of all lost curses is with the sender. So it all came back on her in different ways, you know, expressed itself in her life. So, you know, when you're dealing with any sort of manipulation, um, yeah, it's better if you tell him, you tell somebody I'm going to kill you or whatever to get that them into it. But you don't necessarily need that because of the reality of spirit. Well, I was just comparing it to, to Wiccan and the power of three. When what you give out comes, what you give or do comes back three times mm -hmm. as good or three times as bad. So there are comparisons. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, uh, Wicca is sort of um, high ceremonial or ritual magic light. You know, it is, yeah. it is a valid, it's now a valid belief system, but in comparison to the ceremonial magic or whatever, it's sort of like a, you know, like a, a younger sibling to high magic. But, yeah, in that <clears throat> the belief is if you harm nature, you harm anyone, you know, do no harm. Right. 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 Do what thou wilt, but do no harm. You had mentioned... in... Hmm? Well, you had mentioned, uh, right before, we're going to take a, a break in a second, but right before, you, you've been talking about conjuring. Can you kind of encapsulate what that means? What's the definition of that exactly? 
Um, there is no real definition. It was like when I when I tell you that you know I'm picking up, I'm going to make a straw something out of somebody, or um, you're going to you think somebody's you know doing something against you or whatever, and you you kick a coconut around your house for seven days, you kick it out, and then you urinate on it, <laughs> and <laughs> that it's really it's like. I hate to say country or rural because that's not a good definition, but it is root at the root work. It's it's um, you know where you know what to get for your greedy bag, or you hang that you know you throw it under their house, or you throw a trick in what is called you know a hex in front of their gate whenever they got to pass. You know everything. It's like that, and you're instead of having anybody uh, advocating for you or doing this for you, you and the spirits that you're calling on are the ones doing the work. But the caveat is when you start down this road, they are very greedy, the spirits. They're very hungry all the time. And if, you, if they have done something for you start to finish, they expect you to continue to propitiate them with offerings and with devotion and all this other stuff. And that's what people don't understand. So you and pay it, a it's karmic a little hard to price for this. I'm sorry? You, you sort of pay yeah. a karmic price for this. Right. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. Well, Aileen, when we come back, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. I got to mention zombies, although I don't want to, and how that got affiliated <laughs> with uh, with voodoo. And also, I want to talk to you about tools of a voodoo practitioner's uh, trade, like the grigri and the grigri bags, the devil dolls. And, and are there such things as voodoo dolls with pins exactly? Or is that more kind of Hollywood and folklore? But we'll do that when, when we come back. We are talking to Aileen Pustanio. Uh, she is a voodoo voodoo know-it-all and a New Orleans paranormal researcher and what she knows about voodoo is going to freak you out. We've only just begun to quote Karen Carpenter. I'm Laurie Kendrick and you're listening to uh, my show Conversations with Laurie Kendrick on RadioBrave.com Welcome to Conversations with Laurie Kendrick. That's me. That's you. That's me. And that voice is uh, Pant Fant, my radio padre. And joining us for this voodoo-packed informational edutainment hour is Aileen Pustanio, and she knows all about the folklore in New Orleans and the haunts and the haints. (laughs) Aileen. She knows voodoo. Yes. So. (laughs) <laughs> Do you, uh, I, I, you now live in New Orleans. Have you lived in New Orleans forever? Forever. Yeah, yeah forever. Yeah. Um, I would never leave. Yeah. The only time we, you know, we did leave for any period of time was during Hurricane Katrina. And uh, it, there's, it, New Orleans is unique. 
Um, and in my book, Haunting Tales of Odin Wallings, the first volume, I basically try and put that into words. She is like a mother to us. And we, you know, we grow up um, with her, you know, with her moss hung hair and, you know, sitting by the riverbank and, you know, hearing her voice and glimpsing her in the courtyards and everything. She really is a mother to us who are born here, to those of us who are born here. And I can't think that I would ever live anywhere else. I, I would like to stay other places for, you know, different amounts of time, visit and stuff like that. But I would always come back to New Orleans. It's just a part of you. And you have to be born into it to feel it so strongly. But sometimes people come and she adopts them, you know. They, they keep visiting, visiting until they call it home. You know, and your your six <laughs> generations of your family have called it home. Yes, uh huh. That's right. Um, my on my father's side, we go back to um, actual merchant seamen, which would be called merchant ships. This you know this day and age, but transporting uh, primarily, unfortunately, slaves, but primarily you know other cargo, um, Portuguese and Spain to the New World, and then. Uh, on my mother's side, we are uh, related to the uh, American composer Louis Moro Gottschalk, and he, um, his family's been, the Gottschalks have been here since at least the 1820s. Uh, I want to say 1820, um, which the other side, my Pisanio side, was here prior to that. So yeah, we we go back <laughs> a long way, <laughs> and there's a lot of us. You know, there, there's not a lot of Pisanios, but there's a, a lot of links. There's a lot of Gottschalks, et cetera. So, but. Um, and, for, you know, just for, I always talk about, when I talk about Gottschalk, his father, Edward Gottschalk, and I know everybody's heard about the LaLaurie mansion, mansion and especially yeah. since American Horror Story, totally screwed up the whole thing. But his father was among the three men who broke into the attic on the day of the fire. Um, so that's, you know, and that's my relative. And so we've always had, you know, grandmothers and aunts and whatever talking about these legends, almost in you know, the current, current, what do you call it, you know, present tense. Right. Um, so it's been, you know, and it informs you, you know, you get these, uh, someone who's actually been there basically can give you the truth. And so that's why we know that, you know, a lot of what's settled down there on the street is not true. Right. And <laughs> you've got to backtrack. It, it is. It's notorious. Uh, but you've got to backtrack. You mentioned the Lalari House. A lot of people don't know what happened there can you please kind of sum that up this is creepy fat um, fat pant this yeah. is well creepy the, the going story which started around the time of george washington cable um when he began to you know gather folk tales of new orleans um the, the actual facts are that on uh wednesday uh um, april 10th i'm sorry uh 1834 uh her house the house at the corner of royal and governor nichols um was on fire. Basically, there's a fire. Everybody was returning. Uh, crowds of people, because when one, in New Orleans, when one building goes, sometimes, yeah. I mean, we had two great fires in 1788 and 1794. Uh, they, they brought from the house slaves who had been uh, in the attic. There were two slaves in the kitchen who are to have started the fire. There was a huge mob that showed up, and you know, what you hear is that there were terrible mutilations. There were, you know, all kind of experiments and operations going on. And, you know, by the time it gets through the press, it was 75 people. They have bodies buried everywhere. Um, it's none of that is true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a fire. She was not well-liked primarily because she uh, is, I mean, she has 
like if Bill Gates is rich today, that's what she was. She had yeah. that much uh, wealth. And they really didn't, you know, they didn't like the family because the family was very, you know, litigious and taking everybody to court on stuff. And, you know, it's it's just one thing that leads to another when you get these ridiculous amounts of, there's no way. They couldn't have fit 75 slaves on that property. They didn't own that many, uh, not at that property. But what you hear now is just absolutely total the polar opposite. There were three men in the attic who were chained for whatever reason. Usually when they chain them, uh, and I mean, we're dealing with chattel, chattel property, basically, but we're right. talking about human beings. So usually when they were chained, uh, run away. There was a danger of them running away. And three men were brought out of the attic, along with two elderly uh, people. One, the man had a wound on his head, and it had maggots in it. But, you, you know, you remember maggots were, well, maggots were used like leeches. Right. In right, other words, healing. they would eat the gangrene. And the woman was restrained because she was demented. She had she had senile dementia. And so there was five, right, three, four, five. The woman chained to the stove because she had run away, who was the cook, right? And allegedly she started the, started the fire, and she had one other slave, a female, in there in the kitchen with her. So over the years, it's become 75 slaves and... Uh, and more, and they dug up a well, and the girl fell off of the thing. Uh, you know, they, Madame LaLaurie was whipping a girl, and, and yeah. none of that actually took place, although it is haunted. The house is haunted, because it later became a school. Um, then it became, you know, different businesses. It became a lot of, you know, Italian families lived in it when they broke it up for apartments. It is haunted, and it's just not hard there, you know, yeah. <laughs> coming and stealing your baby or... You know, she got a really, really bad rap, and her husband, actually the ghost of her husband, is the prominent haunting there in that house, and that was really? Dr. LaLaurie. Laurie. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine actually saw him. Actually, uh, he manifested several times when there were two doctors living in the house, actually, who owned it sometime in the 80s, mm-hmm. and they were physicians that worked here in New Orleans, and that made his appearance more prevalent. Wow. And they knew of him and they knew of three little girls that would run around the fountain, the ghosts of three little girls that run, ran around the fountain in the courtyard. Um, but my friend was helping them pack and she was actually packing some medical journals and she turned around and there was Dr. LaLaurie uh, without legs, but a real almost a full body apparition. And so she just left, <laughs> you know, it's like she just left. Um, but. Yeah, so Madame LaLaurie, I don't even think she would return there as a ghost because she was so miserable. She had a miserable marriage. She had, you know, people tore her house apart, you know, and burned it to the ground and everything. So, now, you know, But I the house is is still standing. Mm-hmm. And, Laura, mm-hmm. you know what we're going to have to do, right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Nick, Cage, Nick Cage bought it at one time, I think. Yeah, he doesn't own it anymore. <laughs> I bet. Well, um, what we yeah, well, what we have in mind, to... what we have in mind, yeah. Eileen, is is uh, I I know what Kendrick's thinking. I know what I'm thinking too. Uh, that <laughs> we have to do a show from there uh, live uh, in the near future, and uh, well, certainly invite a... you to join us. Is that possible? <clears throat> Well, there's a there's family who lives in it now, so it's a personal home. Uh, it's a private home right now. Um, 
there are other there's other locations that you could that you could do that from. But yeah, there's a man. He's he's I think he's originally from Texas. If you do some uh, you know some internet googling, you'll find out who the guy is because there was a whole uh, article in our in the Times Picayune about how he redid the interior of the house and brought back you know, took down wallpaper and walls and all this other stuff to reveal mm. a lot of the original work done right. to the house. But it is a private home now. Right. And before that, uh, at the time after um, Nick went sort of into bankruptcy, and it was he lost it as part of a bankruptcy, you know, reorganization. So it was vacant for a while. And some realtors, you know, could, could get people in there. But um, prior to that, Nick was there. And prior to him... Um, there was another private family. There was another family who owns it. But he, um, yeah, he also has a tomb in St. Louis Number 1. <laughs> he built a tomb, and it's around the corner from Marie Laveau's grave. But there are other locations that you could, you know, you could set up something like that. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, New Orleans is haunted all over. Oh, I know. Aileen, Nick Cage built his own tomb? He has, yeah. The, um, <laughs> in St. Louis Number 1, which is the... <laughs> Yeah, and I have a story about that. And if you look it up, it's shaped like a pyramid. What he yeah. did was, uh, and you really, there's no room in there. But what happened was uh, there was an old dilapidated space. No, you know, the family couldn't be found, so they tore that tomb, the, you know, the vault, the two-people vault, down, and he bought that spot. And he built a pyramid. <laughs> and it's, like, white. I mean, like, Jesus can see it white. I mean, it's so white. Uh, and, you know, I was standing there one day and um, was with some people who were going, walking around taking pictures and all. And, you know, I'm looking at the tomb and this guy comes up, fanny pack, you know, five o'clock somewhere shirt. And he says, what's that? And I said, it's Nick Cage's tomb. And he says, is he in there? I was like, <laughs> did he die? And I went over to it and I knocked on the marble. I was like... No answer, no. He's alive, you know. I mean, seriously, they start taking pictures of it, you know. So, uh, but it's, you know, it's all, it's all good. But yeah, yeah. he's going to be buried here. In fact, he's jumped over the fence several times. I bet and he has. A couple of people. I mm-hmm. bet he has. Because he'll go, med- he, he would go meditate in there um, yeah. or, you know, whatever else. He likes to go see his tomb, apparently. But um, a couple of years ago, somebody got in there and painted. Marie Laveau's tomb, Pepto-Bismol pink, oh. and it, it, it was a latex that sunk into the mortar and everything, so yeah. it, cost, it cost the uh, archdiocese $10,000 to redo her tomb and one other that the guy had painted, and yeah. now you can't go in the cemetery without a tour guide. You know? hey, you, 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 this is wow. great. Lori? I say we blame Nick Page on everything. We are going to take a very quick break. Aileen, don't don't go anywhere and don't you go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to talk about how Hollywood has completely screwed up voodoo. We're going to uh, talk about uh, uh, zombies and, and bone tossing for fortune telling. All this and more on Conversations with Moi, Laurie Kendrick on RadioBrave.com.
sailed away. We walked miles and miles, and then we slipped away. We looked so hard, but couldn't see the fire. We are back, and this is Conversations with Laurie Kendrick, and today's topic. All about voodoo, everything you wanted to know and never knew who to ask, but we did. We called Aileen Pustano. Uh, she is an expert on all things folkloric, a haunted in New Orleans, and she knows a lot about voodoo. I have to ask you, um, Aileen, this is kind of haunted voodoo related, related. Talk to us about the Johnny Thunder incident. <laughs> Yeah, we were just talking about that. Well, Johnny Thunders, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, so anybody out there, you know, who remembers it, because some of it I think I, you know, I don't remember right. But um, anyway, the New York Dolls were uh, like a big band, obviously in New York and East Coast, but they were hot. They had a, uh, I don't know, their biggest song was called Trash, okay? But anyway, yeah. when, you know, punk went out a little bit out of style, Johnny Thunders uh, kind of broke out on his own, and the last band he had was called The Heartbreakers. And he was found dead in um, the St. Peter Guest House, which is at the corner of um, Burgundy and and St. Peter Street. He was found in in the room, uh, basically in rigor mortis. Uh, The cause of death was heroin overdose. And, um, you know, basically he's, uh, he had, you know, they had to take him out and he was bent over. He wouldn't fit on the, um, on the, what you call it, on the stretcher. But since, since then, then the room has been haunted, um, oh. and we did an investigation. And speaking of technical difficulties, our phone didn't work then either um, because we were we were going live to talk right. from the room on another radio show, and it was just you know the, the guy, the front desk guy came and he yelled at us because he's like this phone keeps ringing at us, and we we were sitting there with our hand on the phone waiting, and we never did hear it. So we actually got some evidence of him, his girlfriend who was. Uh, sort of semi-famous as a groupie in Los Angeles, Sable Star. She had recently died at the time we did the investigation, and we have EVPs of him, we have EVPs of her. We also have captures of something else that was in the room, which is, um, we could talk about it more later, but it's a manifestation basically of his addiction, and it pretty much was keeping him in the room, locked there. So when Sable did come forward, she took Johnny with her. And the reason I know that we were at least that happened while we were there was because the hotel called me back a couple of weeks and said, what the hell did y'all do in that room? And I was like, I don't know what's happening. She's got three other rooms now that are haunted and people leave in the middle of the night and, you know, they have some kind of a demonic entity and all this. And I'm like, oh, you know, Urkel, did I do that? Did we do that? (laughs) You know, I don't know what happened, but, you know. Okay. He's ain't hanging around in the same room no more. <laughs> That's a cool. That is a very cool story, and I think I, I heard a radio interview in which you were uh, interviewed about that. And I think you were on Ghost Hunters for that, yeah. Uh, that Did, was for the upstairs lounge fire. Right. That was, uh, yeah, for okay. thirty seconds. They filmed okay. it for four days, and we all got thirty seconds. It's like, oh my god. So you you know about Hollywood. You've dealt with Hollywood. You know you've been on so many shows: Nat Geo, Discovery, a lot of shows about ghosts. So let's talk about Hollywood and the bastardization, basically, of what Hollywood's done to to voodoo. Um, First movie I ever saw was called Ghost Breakers with Bob Hope back in the '40s, and that was a really weird overview about voodoo and 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 zombies. So has Hollywood ever gotten it right with regard to voodoo movies? Um. 
No, really, kind of <laughs> not. Um, and you said you said Ghostbreakers, and I was thinking White Zombie too, with yeah. Bela Lugosi. Um, yeah, and that you know we no, they really haven't because they've only all they've taken is the sensational, uh, alleged nature of it. You know of what had happened. Um, I I don't even know. I guess the clo- the one that came closest was um, Skeleton Key. And that was the one with, I think, uh, what's her name? Kat, Kate, Kate, whatever, Hudson. Goldie Hawn's daughter. Kate, yeah, yeah, Kate, Kate Hudson. Yeah. And she was in it. Uh, that's probably the one that came closest. Uh, and in a lot of ways, like, they mix things up. Like, they'll say something voodoo. And I'm, I'm terrible with movies because if they say, oh, it's a, you know, it's the voodoo, whatever, and they're doing like, they're showing demonic stuff, like demonic evocation and all, I'm like, I can't watch. You know, it was the wrong kind of helmet. In a history movie, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. they really, they really have sort of bastardized it, and they've painted it with a really broad brush. You know, we had Serpent in the Rainbow, which I'm sure you probably saw, and actually, mm-hmm. yeah. some of the references in Serpent in the Rainbow were correct in context. In other words, like spirit box, and the man had captured the spirits and the bottles, etc. So the and zombies, and, and they were in Haiti. So there were actually. Uh, even though it was kind of a lampoon, it was it had some actual elements. And I think, you know, since when they began to film movies down here in the last several years, and they've actually been able to spend some time to understand what it is we do or what happens, you know, when XYZ is done, it's becoming a little bit more accurate. But on the whole, no. They've always just sensationalized it, and, you know, they always... They have no sense of distance because people are driving from, you know, Jackson Square to Opelousas would take four hours, but she's like 20 minutes later, she pulls up, you know, I mean, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But, um, but it's hard because it's hard to, uh, you know, they, practitioners just blow it off and they don't, you know, they say, good, nobody knows anything about what we're doing, so that's good. That kind of preserves what's actually being done, you know, okay. but no, they really never, you know, they're never as accurate as they could be. Right. Um, which would be a lot scarier if it was a scary movie. I bet. Let's talk about zombies. I hate it. Hate zombies. I don't know why I do, but let's. <laughs> how did, what's the connotation between zombies and voodoo? Well, zombies are real, um, but they're not the staggering uh, things that you see like on The Walking Dead. Um, and, I, you know, I was a fan of The Walking Dead until just the, the whole plot got stupid. But um, my biggest problem with that was, you know, that, that a lot of these zombies that are walking around, here I am so practical, I'm a practical occultist. I was like, you know, well, they should be decomposing. In other words, if, uh, you know, if all of these, they sh- these zombie, zombies should be dying because they're, it's a physical body. And that hits on the actual, the actual zombification process as it's done in Haiti. And it goes back to the power of suggestion primarily. Okay, so we... Uh, a, an evil practitioner of voodoo is called a bokor or a left-hand man and he's so, cuz he's doing sinister work and he's usually uh the magic man or the you know the witch doctor type you know to a particular neighborhood or area in Haiti and so he knows everybody's temperament he knows people and they already are afraid of him so he will pick if he wants to zombify somebody if he wants a you know, a servant, basically, to do stuff, you know, like commit crimes or whatever, he's going to pick the most mentally susceptible person, the one who's like, the you know, who responds to the power of suggestion. And he begins to get in his mind, first of all, 
he'll give, he'll, you know, this person, he'll do something good for him a couple of times with some magic. So now he's got him, you know, linked to him. Right. And then he begins to ply him with actual drugs. Okay. And they're, they're, um, naturally occurring, uh, herbs, growths, uh, mushrooms and stuff like that. But anyway, I don't know the formula. I wish I did. And there's a lot of it. Um, but you know, a lot of people, attention has been given to puffer fish or blowfish, and that is part of what he would be giving him, his, you know, zombie to be, in small doses until he's able to up the dose. And if, if too much of this is given, they can die, but if just enough is given, it will mimic death for all intents and purposes. Now, in Haiti, there's not going to really be an undertaker to embalm anybody. So the minute this guy dies, quote-unquote, He's put in a box, right? The family hurries up because they don't want him to be a zombie, right? They shove him in the ground. And the next thing that happens is the Bokor will go back, just like in a movie. He'll go back, he'll dig the guy up, he'll wake him up, give him, you know, by mouth or whatever it is, to wake him up out of it. And the guy's feeble, right, or whatever. But now, this is where the belief system comes into work. The family that buried their relative, their loved one, knows he's dead. And because of the culture, they know he could have become a zombie. But they're pretty confident that he's not because they buried him, you know, quickly and et cetera. The guy coming out of the ground, when he wakes up, he sees the practitioner who's telling him he's a zombie and this is what he needs to do. So he believes he's a zombie. He believes he's a zombie who woke up in his grave. So when you have a, when this happens and the man is reanimated or whatever, or the person, and they go back, the family sees them, they're freaking out because of their belief in zombies, okay? They think he's a zombie, and he thinks he's a zombie. But he's really and just high. The, the one, he's real, well, he's really under some sort of, you know, a regimen of drugs that keeps yeah. him just, you know, just on the edge of uh, full consciousness or whatever. And he's basically the slave of this guy. So what happens, or the Bokor, what happens is that it's the cultural thing at work. You know, it's their beliefs. And they believe so readily in it because it has happened. Um, now, it, it is possible for bodies to actually come back, for dead uh, people to come back. That would take necromancy. And it has been done. Basically, there's references to it all over the world but this is unique to haiti and it also can it also has happened in new orleans we've had um situations and there there was a famous uh in and it, again in haunting tales i have a story called Bracoupe, the zombie king and he and, was a zombie and we're going to yeah, talk about that zombie. we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that when we come back i want to hear all about this and we also have to plug your books you're listening to conversations okay. with laurie kendrick with elaine pustani on radiobrave.com Setting sail to the place on the map from which no one has ever returned. Drawn by the promise of the Joker and the fool, by the light of the crosses that burn. Drawn by the promise of the women and the lace and the gold and the cotton and pearls. It's the place where the you are listening to conversations with Laurie Kendrick. That would be me on RadioBrave.com. This 
subject today, one of my faves, it's voodoo. And telling us all about it is a New Orleans sixth-generation native, Aileen Pusano. Aileen, you have, uh, as I mentioned in previous breaks, you have a lot of books out there, a lot of books. You have a lot of merchandise that you can also sell. If someone was interested in finding your devil dolls, which we want to talk about, <laughs> and, and your, your, your books, how would they find you? Um, well, they would visit AileenPistanio.net, um, and there you can buy my books, Haunting Tales of Old New Orleans, Volume 1. I have another book that is nonfiction um, called Risks Incidental, and it is The Supernatural Dangers of Paranormal Exploration. Um, there will be a Volume 2 of Haunting Tales coming out, hopefully by the end of the year, but I don't, I'm not too optimistic, but hang in there, it's coming. Okay. And you can also link through that to books where I have contributed. Uh, um I've contributed to about four or five books by Brad Steiger, who is like the godfather of the paranormal, uh, real zombies, real monsters, creatures, you know, all this real stuff. So, um, so yeah, you can buy those books through there. You can also communicate with me through there. And as far as merchandise, we're going to start a line on a different, under a different website, but you know, just stay tuned. I'm about to upgrade the website and everything. Also, there's a blog and I get to it as, you know, when I can, but you also can find me on, um, Facebook. Uh, I also do a show myself on uh, United Public Radio Network, UPRN. It's 107.7 FM, and my show is every Friday night at 9 p.m. called Supernatural Substitution. And then at midnight, I have Dark Ambient Radio, a show called Terminus, which is all ambient music. You want to, you know, just freak out a couple of hours. Um, And this weekend, we'll be featuring music for vampires. Ooh, (laughs) I bet that's biting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm having fun putting it together. <laughs> okay. A- A- Aileen, let's, let's, we've been kind of teasing everybody with talking about bone tossing, chicken bone tossing. Mm-hmm. How can a, mm-hmm. a, a priestess or a priest throw a thigh bone, leg bone, and maybe something else and, and, and tell a future? What are we talking about here? Well, if, um, well, you know, you've ever heard of the, the towel sticks or the toss sticks, you know, that are in uh, the Chinese toss sticks. Yeah. I mean, we used to have them as, toys, but they're also used for the messages that are on them. It's um, primarily, it's not the type of bones, although uh, I will say that human bones are considered best, but primarily it could be the sacrifice bone. In other words, if you have a voodoo uh, priestess who is actually a blood house, meaning that they do blood sacrifices of animals, then they would chain the bones sometimes. And it's all in the juxtaposition of the toss, basically. Um, you know, concentrating on whatever the subject matter might be, and it's it's learned and it's better you know it's better to learn it from somebody who already knows how to do it. But it goes back to um, African traditions. But I was just realizing the runes too. Rune tossing is similar, and it's all in the juxtaposition of the position of you know the bones. They also use cowrie shells to do this, and it's you know it started obviously in Africa. It was brought over here, and so you really have to learn. Um, the symbology of it in order to do it. But it can tell us from, you know, your your past, your future, uh, what's going on in your situation. It's sort of like, you know, tower cards in, in that way, but it's, it's used primarily for divination and for advice, uh, and it, it takes a long time really to get expert at it. And so usually it's done by a high priestess or a priest, and, you know, basically that's really it. I mean, it looks sort of, you know, nefarious just on the top of it, but... You know, I mean, there was, I shouldn't say this, but there was a priestess 
And uh, the going thing was like, if you bring her a two-piece and a biscuit, you know, and then she'll read your bones. I mean, it was a joke, but, you know, and she even laughed about it. It was like, you know, bring her a two-piece of biscuit from Popeye's and, you know, you can get a bone ring. But, um, but that's basically really all it is. It's okay. no kind of a curse or anything like that. It's divination primarily. It's divination. Okay. Now, now chickens. Are, are prevalent and i know that that in santaria a blood sacrifice they'll usually kill a chicken or lamb or goat but that's always consumed by the family or the or the community is that the, the same application in voodoo same in voodoo yeah okay. same in voodoo and the community the community shares in it um there are houses here who um or that um that will continue to use that or will you you know sacrifice but on the whole some houses are just totally white or, you know, and they don't do sacrifice. They offer food and other stuff as, as propitiation to the spirit. Usually in blood, when blood is involved, they're dealing. We talked earlier about the white and the red or the good and the basically bad, right. sort of bad. Uh, and usually when they're working with the petuo, um, which is the, the red cast of the spirits, that's when sacrifice comes in. The white is usually foodstuffs, um, alcohol, whatever things, you know, that... Uh, traditionally, the spirit that you're working with likes, like roses and champagne for, you know, Leslie Rand or seawater for her and shells and, you know, all the different things that are associated with that particular Lawa are brought as offerings. So, but the blood is primarily for the, the more, the sort of powerful, not evil, but basically very strong, uh, petual spirit. You gotta know what you're doing when you work with blood, right? Yeah. Yeah, I figured yeah, as much. Yeah, because any, anywhere that blood is spilled, and this is not only in voodoo, this is also in uh, invocation of demons, anywhere that there's blood sacrifice going on, it basically pollutes the atmosphere for a long time. And whatever you've brought, whatever you've drawn to that spot, wherever it might be, will continue to come there. And this is where we get demonic-type hauntings because somebody was messing around he was 14 years old, and he's fooling with Alistair Crowley, and the next thing you know, you know, you've got the Elzebub in the house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and very seriously, whenever there's been blood offered, it pollutes. So there, that's why there's a strict, you know, there are, like I said, there are some probably more than who won't do sacrifices here, but it's not a necessary thing to end the life of an animal in order to reach, you know, right. reach a spirit, for even a red spirit for a particular purpose. So, you now, know, you know it, it, it's a matter of preference to have in email exchanges that we've had over the past couple of weeks, uh, we kind of talked a little about Galveston and how Galveston was kind of like a very, mm-hmm. very, very, very small version of, of New Orleans. Very similar to the vibe. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Uh, but it's it's a mom, too, and it kind of sucks you in. And there's quite a bit of mm-hmm. voodoo, voodoo practice there. If someone were interested in getting into voodoo after, say, listening to this conversation, what would be your best recommendation on how they would start? Um. I guess, you know, I don't know exactly the magical community there, but there are um, probably shops, practitioners open in Galveston who, you know, basically are like the same thing here, the shops, et cetera. Usually um, a particular shop or, you know, outlet will have some particular priest or priestess or, you know, expert on whatever available to either counsel and do cards, et cetera, or you know, basically to tell you, you know, put you in touch with somebody who can, you know, meet your need with whatever. If you want to study this, it starts um, 
basically at the at the elbow of uh, you know this same kind of practitioner. If it's voodoo, you're going to have to go through the whole process of being initiated, um, which is not a bad process. But it it may require going to Haiti. Um, it may require you know Haitian type voodoo being done for you where you are. Um, but you need to be, if you're a woman, you need to be couché. Basically, you need to be uh, go to sleep from the the you know the world that you knew, basically spiritually, and awaken a new spirit. And so that's all done in the initiation process. The best thing to do, since a magical community is really uh, a mixed bag, is to to look around and ask questions of people that you're familiar with that may be purveying items, you know, for for the magical arts. And that's a good place to start. Or you can also get, you know, look online, basically, and there's a couple of great, you know, great practitioners out there who have good sites. You know, Aileen, I went to, I got my first Grigri bag in Galveston, and basically, I just filled that with things, little little trinkets, little amulets that were in the store that kind of meant something to me, and I did, I used to keep that in my purse, tied up tightly in my purse. Grigri is, is like chi, like energy, luck, bad luck? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, it's it's um, the 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 goal of it, or the, the the way it works, is it attracts you know like basically what is like to like. You know, if you have a money grigger bag, you know, it's going to bring money to you. Um, usually, the best kind are like you just described, where you pick out what goes in it, and then whoever's going to make it adds you know whatever needs ingredients need to give it that oomph and. You know, it's your personal. In other, in other words, you keep it. The, the rule is don't let anybody touch it other than you, uh, or it'll just discharge and you'll have to get a new one. If yeah. you have any sort of bad influence with it, you have to throw it in the water, um, and that would be obviously the gulf uh, in your area, and just turn your back on it. Or you can just lay it in salt, you know, stick, stick it in a box and cover it in salt and let it that way for about, you know, one moon cycle, 28 days and then throw it in the water. But, you know, they really do work. That is, um, that I, I know that, okay? I had one done for me uh, for a particular purpose, and it actually did work. Um, but I think so I screwed mine up. I, mean, I think I screwed mine up because I put too many wants in it. I think I put love, money, yeah, job. Yeah, I think it was too confusing for the gods, you know? I think it was too, conf- yeah, too yeah, confusing. The so, so saying, you know, what, the, what hell? the hell are you talking <laughs> about, girl? What do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. And but, it was just you know, in a little green velvet easy. bag that had a tie top, and I just kept it with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was anointed with something, some kind of oil, the, the, who I bought it from. Yeah, there are. Um, there's money draw oil. There's, you know, compounds that they use, um, you know, practitioners, I mean, who, you know, they do themselves. There's things that draw money, you know, like basil or bay leaves, right, right, um, right. you know, things that are neutral some things and then you know always drawing love etc but you know that's what we would be put into it to draw the money to you that you're looking for so yeah green red for passion pink for love blue for protection there's you know there's all sorts and you can actually buy them ready-made just like you can the candles and everything else yeah but that's not the same you you got to pick them up aileen we're about out of time thank you so much for joining us your website is aileen and that's a l y n e Pustanio, P-U-S-T-A-N-I-O dot net. What a force of nature you are. Please come back and let's talk. Let's talk about doing something for Halloween. Okay. Okay. Thank you. you.
It's a big weekend here. (laughs) You as well. Hey, like my page on Facebook, Laurie A. Kendrick. Uh, You can also email me if you have a suggestion about the show, and we don't like convention, so keep it a little weird. Uh, Reach me at conversationswithlk at gmail.com and read my blog. You can always find out what's happening with the show through my blog, which is lauriekendrick.wordpress.com. And next week, we are going to learn all about Isis, not the Greek goddess, but the cats in Syria that we're all so scared of. Who are they? How do they begin? Are they the nephews and sons of Al-Qaeda? I'm probably wrong, but it feels like they are. But we're going to find out all about that. Have a tremendous week, everybody. Isis next week, voodoo this week. What a show. I am Laurie Kendrick, and this is RadioBrave.com. Talk to you soon.